Please open up in your Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 22. Second Kings, make sure you have second, not first. Second Kings chapter 22. Now you all know what yesterday was. No, I'm not talking about Halloween. Yesterday was Reformation Day. Yes. Now, we mentioned that to most people, maybe even some of you, and it doesn't particularly turn you on to anything in particular, but it's a very important day. What do we mean by Reformation, the word? Well, Reformation is the act of changing something or someone into an improved form or condition by removing faults or abuses, all for the better. Historically, historically, this is what happened at the beginning of the 16th century. One of the many benefits of the Protestant Reformation is what we're going to look at today. There are many benefits, many things we could say about it, but it has to do this morning with the finding of a lost book. Something similar occurred back in the 7th century B.C. We want to consider that in 2 Kings 22 and 23. There's a parallel passage also in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Let me read for you the first 10 verses of 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah of Moscoth. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters, and to the builders, and to the masons. Let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly." And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, of, in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. The hour is late in Judah. It's five minutes before their midnight. Almost she has come to the end of the line. Judgment is 
coming. Seemingly, there would be no hope at all. For 55 years, there had been a very evil king, Manasseh. 55 years he ruled in a very wicked way. When he died, his son was no better, but he didn't last near as long, only for two years before he died, Amon. And that brings us then to King Josiah. A revival was about to occur, a reformation, if you will. And it had to do with finding a lost book. In the first seven verses that I read to you, we find what preceded that finding. The word Josiah, or the name Josiah, means Jehovah heals, Jehovah supports. Unlike his grandfather and his father, Josiah quickly followed David in godliness before God and men. That was due largely from his mother, her influence, certainly not from his father, Amon, but from Jedidah. She undoubtedly taught him much about the things of the Lord. And then there must have been pious men in his early years that taught him about the gospel, taught him about the coming Christ, the Messiah, through whom there would be forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Notice the end of verse 2. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's an expression of unwavering adherence to the law of God. His first outstanding decision was to reform Judah's worship. We read in 2 Chronicles 34, 3, that in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, think of it, only eight years old, he began to seek the God of David, his father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem out of the high places and the carved and the metal images. Now, back in chapter 12, King Joash had done some house cleaning of the temple, but much had to be done because of the terrible leadership of Manasseh and Amon for so many years. Probably the temple had not been in much use during those years. It becomes some sort of a warehouse, probably, gathering a place for a storage area of odds and ends of things. It had deteriorated. Probably there's rubbish all around. Need of great care. And so that's why in this chapter we find that things are starting to get the temple put back into good shape. You'll notice that money also had been dedicated, brought in by the people to help pay for that project, to pay the workmen for their, for their labors. So Josiah had stepped in and initiated the, this stage of spiritual reformation at age 26, and that was good. The restoration of the temple and its worship would take a long time to restore because it had been deteriorating for so long. So this is a very good thing that he started. And if that's all we have, we would say, good job, Josiah. That temple needed to be fixed up. And that would be a big help to the spiritual life of our nation. Ah, but then something very abrupt happened. Verse 8, Hilkiah came to Shaphan the secretary and said, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Rather anticlimactic, wouldn't you say? We looked at these first seven verses kind of building up to it. 
And all we can't find in verse 8 is Hilkiah saying, I found this book. Where did he find it? On some rubbish heap? Some dump outside of the city of Jerusalem? No. The book had been found in the temple, the holy dwelling place of the Lord. Now we have to use our sanctifying imagination here for a little bit. And as I try to picture this, I imagine perhaps there were some workmen who were working and one of them found a scroll and said, what is, what is this here? And he got it out and he said, well, this looks important. I better give it to Hilkiah the priest. And so he did that. Hilkiah then takes it. He glances at it. I think his eyes were opened a little bit when he read what it was. He then came to Shaphan the secretary and told him, I I found this book of the law in the house of the Lord. So he gave it to Shaphan, so he read it. Doesn't mean that he read the whole thing, but he read enough to capture his attention to realize the king has to read this. And so he comes to the king there in verse 9. He talks, uh, first of all, about how things are going on the project. And perhaps Shaphan was even a little scared to present this to the king. And so he, he used some time up here to uh, say, well, things are going well at the temple. We're getting things cleaned up. We've got enough money to pay, uh, pay for the cost of it. Doing good. But finally, he said in verse 10, uh, <clears throat> Your Highness, um, Ilkiah the priest has given me a book. I think I need to read at least part of it to you. So what was this book? Well, we're, it's told it's the book of the law. The book of the law. Bible scholars have been divided just what this book was. Was it the whole five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy? Or was it only Deuteronomy? Some scholars believe that. And other scholars think it was only a portion of Deuteronomy. Probably that is what Shaphan presented to the king and what Josiah read. Whatever it was, it was the same copy, at least portion of it, that supposedly Josiah had access to. Back in Deuteronomy 31, we read that when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book, to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law, put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. So it could very well be that there was this book, a copy of it, it had been around, but in some way it had been forgotten. It had become lost. So that's the background to the finding and a brief reference to the finding of it. But our interest this morning, and the primary thing we need to realize, is what happened next. The response to the finding, or if you will, the results of this finding. It begins in verse 11, goes all the way through chapter 24, verse, uh, verse 24, chapter 23, and we're not going to be looking at all those verses. I'll be summarizing it for you primarily. But let's begin at verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, what did he do? Did he say, well, thank you, Shaphan, for showing that to me. I got things to do. No. 
says he tore his clothes. Now, to our culture today, that seems like a rather strange thing for a king to do. Back in Bible times, this was done to show great grief and even to express terror of heart. Josiah's face must have fallen as Shaphan read those particular verses, either from Deuteronomy or elsewhere, but probably from Deuteronomy. And suddenly he realized what it was. It had to do with the divine threats and curses in the Mosaic Covenant for national disobedience. Let me read you a portion of Deuteronomy 28 just to give an example of the type of thing that Josiah might have read. Remember, he's the king. He's the head of the nation of Judah. And as he heard read, or as he read himself perhaps, the Lord, Moses said, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and the statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and in the field when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only opposed and crushed continually so that you are driven mad. You shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. Suddenly the full force of the meaning of these words came upon the king who represented his people and he realized we have failed the Lord Jehovah miserably. And likewise, I as king. What I found interesting as I looked at this passage is Josiah seems to have heard this for the first time. And it's hard for us to understand how could, how could he not know that? Well, how many times do we overlook things? even things in Scripture. We forget the Bible says that or teaches that. Until suddenly we hear it in a sermon or read it in a book or somebody calls our attention to it and we realize, wow, I guess I haven't been living to glorify God like I should. So a dire impact of what he read fell upon him with full weight because in the terms of the violated covenant, judgment must come. It has to come, and perhaps he began to think about word he was getting about various things happening in the world of his day, realizing, indeed, that judgment was almost here. He realized how far Judah had strayed, that the end was about to come. Josiah is a shaken man there in verse 11. What should he now do? Well, he could have said, well... Judgment upon us is foreordained. Nothing I can do. But instead, he showed a diligence unmatched by any king before or after him for the sake and honor of the righteousness of the Lord. The first thing he did in verses 12 through 20, I'm not going to read those to you, but if you kind of skim along there, 
you'll find that he called his advisors together. Josiah was blessed by good men who gave him good advice, who directed him to the things of the Lord, who were very wise. What a good thing that was for Josiah to do. Instead of doing it all by himself, he called in counselors. This is what I just read. This is what's happening. What shall we do? Well, one thing that they suggested to do was to go inquire of the Lord, verse 13, for the people in the Judah, and to go to a prophetess, a prophetess named Hokiah. Excuse me, Huldah. Huldah the prophet, verse 14. Who is this lady? Well, she apparently, maybe the prophets of the day had kind of faded away and they weren't around, and the Lord raised up this particular woman to be a spokesman for the Lord. And they had confidence that what she would say would be from the Lord. And so they did go to her. And she responded to them with two messages. Number one, verses 16 and 17, judgment will come. You're right to be concerned about this, Josiah, and you are his counselors. It's going to come. But I have good news for Josiah in verses 18 through 20. He will not have to experience that judgment. At verse 23, chapter 23, he assembled certain representatives of the people together. Verse 23, verse, chapter 23, verse 1, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I think that refers to representatives, not every single individual. That would be quite a, quite a thing to get all people together crowded there in Jerusalem. The priests, the prophets, all the people, both small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. People, I want you to hear what I was informed about in the book that was found in the temple. You need to hear it. You need to know what's coming. You know, know, need to know what God thinks of you and how you have been living. You have not been honoring him. You have not been glorifying him. So the king, in verse 3, stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes, with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So Josiah stood there in front of the people, and he acknowledged his part in it. And he said, I'm making a covenant with God that I'm going to try to change my ways, reform my way. And the people entered into this covenant agreement on that particular day. So one, another wonderful thing that he did. Now in verses 4 through 20, and I'm only going to summarize it for you, Josiah really went to work with Reformation. He reformed their worship practices zealously and thoroughly, more so than had ever been done. And if you have any doubts about that, Consider the following actions he took. He took the idols, especially the Baal idol, out of the temple and burned it. Priests, the priests were recalled and deposed. 
He broke down houses of male prostitution. He broke down high places. What does it mean by high places? Well, this would be like high hills here and there, parts of the mountain range, so where idols were put. People went to worship these idols in these high places. He tore those down. He stopped the burning of children to the god Moloch. Imagine that. In Judah, they're offering their children to a false god. He pulled down altars to other false gods. He took the bones of certain false leaders and burned them. What an evil mess in Judah in Josiah's day. That's just a brief glimpse of it. No wonder such a reformation had to be done. We look back around our country today, the United States of America, and we see Josiah's Judah in so many ways. Reformation is needed, is it not? Thankfully, all this negativity was climaxed by a very positive thing that Josiah did. Down in verses 21 through 24. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Bible scholars think that a long time had gone by without the celebrating of the Passover. It was bad enough that this book had been lost, that even the Passover had not been observed. What was the Passover? Well, it was the great festival that set forth the Old Testament symbol of the death, the coming death of the Messiah, the Christ. Judah was reminded once again of her need of redemption from her sins. But as wonderful as that was, you go on in verses 22 and following some other things that Josiah did, as wonderful as it was, it did not preserve them from the coming disaster. The blood of the lambs that they offered in itself did not cleanse them by itself. You see, the old covenant under which Judah lived was powerless in itself to save the people. The church was in its childhood here with largely external legal forms, a spirit of servanthood, fear of outside domination. You know, even after the exile and coming back to the land, Judah was still under the oversight of world powers. Their sins were so deeply rooted that even the Reformation under Josiah could not turn the people back and bring about a true conversion of their hearts. As we read on in 2 Kings, read on Second 2 Chronicles, you see that the people just continue to do a, lot of, do a lot of the same things despite this covenant they made. Judgment indeed was coming. So the old covenant cried out for the new covenant. When did that come? That came with Jesus. When Jesus came, and talk about a reformation. That was a wonderful reformation, not just of national Judah, but of a spiritual transformation of hearts. 
That Jesus came and lived the perfect life and, and gave his life for sinners, his death was raised gloriously, ascended into heaven, and then sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. A tremendous reformation of God's people came about. But as the centuries rolled by, first, the rest of the first century, the second, the third, the fifth, the seventh, eighth, the church began to look a lot like Josiah's Judah. By the end of the 15th century, even after printing had been discovered, even after there were copies of the Bible, only a few copies were available. Not everyone had access to them. And those were being withheld by the church of the day in Western Europe. So the people didn't know much about the Bible. It had been lost to them. They were made to submit to the man-made traditions of the church. But then came... The Protestant Reformation, October 13, 1517, Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg, Germany, and that was the so-called spark that ignited what we call the Protestant Reformation. Much, much had happened before that to prepare for it, and much happened after it to the good of the church of Jesus Christ. But that's another story. Let's come to the 21st century in the lost book of our day. In our world, the Bible has been lost again, hasn't it? Amid the rubbish and clutter of modern living and worldliness, materialism, broken down standards. Of course, in one sense, the Bible is not a lost book. We have Bible bookstores. You can go to Walmart or Costco or the local drugstore, you probably find some copies of the Bible. There are all kinds of different versions out in our modern language to help us understand it. So in that sense, the Bible is not lost. Yet how many Christian churches today preach its message and set forth its truth? How many professing Christians understand and appreciate the uniqueness, the beauty, the power, and the relevance of Holy Scriptures. For many, it remains a lost book. Some time ago, a man named Joseph Fort Newton wrote a version of an old, well-known story in England. I'm going to read you a portion of that I'm going to insert the words, the United States, for England. And see if you don't agree with me that these words are very descriptive of our present society. One day, the United States woke up and found that the Bible was gone. Not only the book itself, but all trace of its influence and every echo of its music had been erased from life. The result was appalling. A great literature became well-nigh unintelligible. Everyday speech stammered and faltered. A change passed over the whole temper and tone of the nation. Life became hectic, hurried, and vulgar. Old restraints were thrown off, leaving instinct to run wild. 
All values are blurred. And life itself became little and mean, not so much tragic as tedious, trivial, frivolous, or else drab. Something fine, high, and fair had gone out of it. Well, something like that has actually happened. And it is the greatest calamity of the last 100 years. The Bible is not actually lost, but it is unknown. Our people do not read it. They do not even hear it read. Few have any notion of what it means or how to read it. It fills one with dismay to see a generation growing up who know almost nothing of the Bible. If they've taken it as a lesson in school, it's been quickly forgotten. It is no longer a book either of comfort or command as in days of old. We are faced by an amazing spectacle, a generous, charming, candid generation without the Bible. People neglect it, ignore it, and some even attack it and criticize it. So I ask you, how about you this morning? Have you lost God's word? Have you been neglecting it? Remember, it's in this book that you learn of your simple condition. You learn of coming judgment, of eternal condemnation. But also you learn the good news of the gospel, of eternal life through Jesus Christ for all who submit to him and trust in him. The very one who said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. And Peter, who wrote, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, our task, both as the church universal and as a local expression here in Corvallis, our responsibility is to pray for and work toward another reformation, not only for our nation, but for the nations of the world to help them find the book that has been lost. Join me in prayer. Father, forgive us for neglecting your word. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for questioning it in the wrong way. Forgive us for not seeking to live according to its precepts. Oh Lord, bless Westminster Church that she might remain true to the Holy Scriptures, to give us the light that we need in our world of darkness. And so we pray for the Church Universal today and for your faithful servants who are seeking to help people find the lost book and its message. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.